Hello and welcome to the podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo. I'm your host for this afternoon, James Copley, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Joel Nicholson, alongside Sunderland fans, Michael Bowers and Dave Lawrence. How are we all today? Very well, thanks, Bradley. Good. Good, Dave. Been a while since we've uh, had you on the pod, but uh, nice to see you once again. Looking well. Uh, first, a bit of housekeeping. You can subscribe to the Sunderland Echo for premium content and an ad light experience. And there is now the option to go totally ad-free for digital plus subscribers. And if you like what we do with the podcast, please consider uh, subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Uh, because it all really helps us with our visibility. Um, it is international break, so Sunderland haven't played, but there's only one place to start, really. This is the first podcast that we've recorded since Jermaine Defoe's exit, or early retirement, should I say. Uh, last week, the 39-year-old striker decided to uh, retire with immediate effect, a decision which leaves Sunderland a little short, but we will come on to that later. I want to get the fan view on this. Me and Joe... Um, I've sort of written about it on, on the website, which you can go and have a read if you'd like. Uh, but we'll start with you, Michael. Seven games to go um, in the, the regular League One season, excluding playoffs, should Sunderland get there. What's your initial thoughts? And I, I suppose the question is, is his reputation maybe tainted a little in the eyes of fans or not? To answer your latter question a little quickly, for me, slightly, but not too much. I think still, from, I can only speak from my perspective, I think Defoe is a legend in the sense that obviously he delivered heavily off the pitch. Well, sorry, on the pitch in his first spell. Um, didn't quite work out in the second by the looks of it, but I thought he was getting sharper, more minutes. Uh, but, I mean, is, I think he'll be legendary status for what he was like with young Bradley Lowry. I think many people will echo that sentiment. Um, obviously, other things more important than football and that sort of um, demonstrates it for me. I think to sort of lean on to it with my feelings on the Defoe departure, I think... Unless there was something going on in his with his mental health or his personal life, whether there was family issues or friend issues or illnesses or anything like that, then I don't blame him for leaving because that's obviously more important than football. It's like it's decency of human beings. If, however, there was nothing wrong with his life outside of football, that makes any sense. And again, it's not my business to know, but um, that's just all. Uh, I think I can't help but feel slightly let down that he couldn't have seen it out till the end of the season. Um, I felt he could have. Basically, if Sunderland don't make the playoffs, that's what another month, five weeks for football. If we did make in worst case scenario for him or longest case scenario, it's another eight, nine weeks with the club. Um, but I don't know. There'll be, reason, uh, there'll be reasons that he's done. I'm sure there's reasons that we don't know about that he's done it. Um, obviously, the club will come into question about how you know we, we, we pursued Jermaine Defoe. Um, I still felt it was the right decision. I still felt we. I still felt that even with the lack of fitness, I think with the condition he keeps, he kept himself in. I don't think he would have needed as long to get himself up to fully up to speed. But you could also make the argument that we should have gone for someone that's been playing more minutes, although I would argue they're harder to come by in the January window because clubs don't want to let them go, depending on how crucial they are to a team's plans. But I'm waffling on again, I apologise. <laughs> but I think for my thoughts with Defoe, um, it doesn't. I still view him as a legend, but I, I can't help but feel a little bit disappointed that he left and didn't see the season out, unless, as I said before, there's something going on in his personal life or, or something with his mental health that we don't know about. Yeah, absolutely, Michael. I mean, speaking as a, a Sunderland fan, myself first and foremost, I was a little disappointed that the, the romance of the fairy tale ending wasn't allowed to play out. And then I thought about it. He's a 39-year-old striker. He's, he's played a lot of football over his career. He doesn't owe anybody anything in, in terms of you know the, the footballing community. And I guess he, he doesn't really owe... 
Sunderland anything as a club, given what he, he gave to us and some of the moments he gave to us, the, the Newcastle goals, um, you know, the great escapes, the goal, goal against Chelsea, um, you know, all of those stellar Premier League moments, what he did with little Bradley Lowry off the field and, and how he's sort of been taken as, a, as an honorary Mackham. But Dave, uh, then I started to think that's, that's my perspective, but I didn't have to buy a ticket for the Doncaster game and I haven't bought, you know, a, a shirt with Defoe printed on the back which which you know can be costly the the price of fuel is increasing there's there's real problems in the world which you know overshadowed default retiring at 39 years old but you can sort of see people's um minor frustration with, with the fact that you know that they've bought into something here and for whatever reason it hasn't quite worked out yeah definitely i mean it's it's quite funny isn't it we're all uh very active on twitter and reading conspiracy theories left right and center listen there'll only be a select few who knew who know the real reason um i wish him well i i wouldn't personally say that he was a legend i think he's a very good player he definitely bought in the, to what we are as people and fans and as a football club yeah maybe things were that much different this time round from the first time he was here maybe he's, that's getting him but whatever the reason, ultimately, you know, I've, I wish him no, no badness whatsoever. Basically, I hope he goes on. I hope he does good things. I'm sure he will. He's very articulate. He's very well spoken. He's uh, he's obviously quite well thought of within media and stuff like that. So I'm sure he'll go on and do some stuff. And ultimately, I think the reason that anyone would call him a legend is I think he's just a downright good human being. I think that's the be all and end all. Um, Listen, we we were we've always cried out for a for a savior, for a hero, and at that particular time, he was an absolute breath breath of fresh air. And I suppose, to be honest, you would, I guess, you would say the person who's the legend, if it wasn't before, is the person who swapped him for Josie Altador because that's a great <laughs> bit of business. No disrespect to Josie Altador, you know, he came, he tried. I think he bought him the club a little bit as well, if I'm honest, but. Um, just yeah, at a time when we needed someone, he stepped up. He did us wonders. Yeah, obviously, the, as Michael said, the Bradley Lowry thing was very, very touching. The, I, I'm sure, I'm sure his role in that is is helped Bradley's parents massively over the years, and and that can only be a good thing. Um, and yeah, like you say, I didn't buy a Doncaster ticket. I, I probably paid for a stream to watch it, to watch the game and stuff. Um, but yeah, there's there's got to be something of that's went on, and it, he obviously, I guess I'm watching him, um, and I did go to the Cheltenham game when we got beat two one, and he he came on. The one thing I would say, he did look off the pace, and I think the last time I saw a footballer who came out of retirement and tried to do that and looked quite badly off the pace was probably Gary Neville. Gary Neville had a bit of a go, and he retired in the middle of a season because he just was miles away. West game against West Brom, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was, and he, he was just like he, he he didn't have a very good. He was you could see visibly watching the game on telly. He was so far off the pace. I don't think Jermaine was that far off the pace, but in his head, you know, if he's used to getting into positions, scoring goals. To be honest, it'd be interesting to know the stats since he come back. I can probably think of. 
certainly one shot on target that he maybe's had, but we didn't we we don't play like that. We don't create the way that he probably wants us to, does he? So maybe that was too tough for him to take. Joe will we'll come on to sort of squad composition um in a moment post Jermaine Defoe's exit, but I remember speaking to you on the on the day that the report surfaced and the day after he actually left and you were definitely of the opinion that he'd he'd started to look a little bit sharper in, in a few of um Sullivan's recent games. I thought he had the first few games, um, as we've said before, I think he did look off the pace and we perhaps we maybe underestimated how little football he had played. I think it was something like nine minutes at Rangers in the first half of the season and, and I think that showed in the first kind of cameos when he came off the bench. But I thought the last few games, particularly the Fleetwood game, um, was the one where he came off the bench at half-time. I thought it made a difference when Sunderland had a lot of attacking players on the pitch and came from behind to win 3-1. Then there was that turn at, um, at Lincoln, the last game that he played, spun away from the defender and hit a shot just wide. So I think he was starting to look a little bit sharper. But yeah, as I said, perhaps we underestimated, firstly, the lack of minutes that he'd played in the first half of the season at Rangers and also how kind of tough it is week in week out to to kind of stay at that level um for someone who's kind of at the back end of his career and um, i think it was interesting his comments when he was explaining his retirement he explained he said that perhaps he could be blocking a younger player um maybe not as many obvious younger players coming through at Sunderland. also he said maybe a player coming back from injury i'm assuming he's alluding to nathan broadhead and i'd be hopeful that that means that Nathan Broadhead is ready to go after the international break because if Broadhead and Stewart are fit, Ross Stewart obviously plays, and it will be hard to see Jermaine Defoe getting in the side if those two are fit for the run-in. So hopefully he's kind of looked at it and thought, well, if those two are fit, um, it's going to be difficult for him to get game time. I would, I am still, still, still surprised that he's not kind of stayed there for the last seven games just because of even the impact he can have off the pitch. You look at Ross Stewart's quotes, that came out about a week ago saying everyone in the dressing room looks up to Jermaine. I was listening to um, Harry Redknapp was speaking as well, and he was saying that Jermaine Defoe could be a great coach just to have him on the training pitch, having giving advice to younger players. So I was kind of surprised that he wouldn't just stick it out for the remaining seven games. Obviously, as Michael said before, we don't know all the ins and outs about why he has come to this decision, but it does leave something short up front, particularly with Broadhead's injury record. And it was, as we've had all season we're fortunate that Ross Stewart has stayed fit for the whole season because if anything happened to him there's a massive hole there in the squad yeah all eyes on on Ross Stewart and whether he's named in Steve Clark's uh, Scotland squad Uh, Scotland start 11 Um, we are recording this podcast live on Twitter and Facebook so you can get in touch in the comments section Uh, we'll read out a couple of those we've got a couple of questions which we'll hold for the end but Dave Spencer says regarding Defoe very simple the lad couldn't get fit knew he was finished. Michael, I mean, I have the utmost respect for Jermaine Defoe as a player, as a person. I think he's probably, pound for pound, one of my favourite Sunderland players in, in my lifetime. I'm, I'm a bit too young to to really remember Kevin Phillips and Nal Quinn properly. So Jermaine Defoe is a goal scorer, um, probably my favourite Sunderland player of sort of my time supporting the club. But for me, and I don't know whether you agree with this, but I think, yes, People have bought shirts, and yes, people have, have bought into to something that hasn't been delivered. But I guess I would I would rather him if he knows that he's he's gone and he's thirty nine. He's feeling every bit of his thirty nine years, and he's twenty two years in football. I would rather him just saying sort of sail off in the, into the sunset with our with our best wishes, rather than sort of 
for want of a better word, you know, you know, hang around the place when when he knows that he's not fully right. I think I would. I do get the argument behind that sort of thinking, but I think. Um, as, as you guys have alluded to, I think every, a lot of people, um, there's Ross Stewart put the course out saying everyone in the dressing room looks up to Jermaine. And I think even having someone like Defoe, even for the, I mean, I know it's probably not what he signed up for when he came back, but, you know, he would have wanted, even having someone like him could do wonders for Ross Stewart, for Nathan and Broadhead, for the rest of the squad. I just think it's the squad morale. We all underestimate how big squad morale is. And I just, I think having Defoe around could have only helped the place personally. So although he obviously wouldn't have been playing, I felt he still could have offered something. I'm, I'm with Joe. I felt that he was getting... I mean, I know he'll know his body more than better than I will, or any of us will. But I think he was getting sharper the more minutes he was playing. Um, and I thought at Lincoln, um, a couple of, just over a week ago, I thought he looked very, very sharp, considering he hadn't played that much football for the first half of the season. So personally, in my own opinion, I still felt he could have offered something. I felt he had a part to play in the last seven games. But I do get your argument. Um, if Defoe knows it felt he wasn't going to be able to contribute anything, then fair enough. I can't I can't fault him for that. I personally would have liked to see him stick around, but opinions are opinions. They are indeed, and, and most people have them, unfortunately. But uh, Joe, we'll, we'll talk squad composition now. Um, Sunderland very light in the striking department. You have Ross Stewart, who has 22 League One goals and is the top scorer. Behind him, it starts to look a bit shaky. Obviously, we know Nathan Broadhead is a quality player. He's on his way back from injury. Uh, hopefully, he doesn't uh, he doesn't have another setback anytime soon and he can get fit and firing. But behind him, you're looking at Benji Kimpioga, who we know doesn't have a lot of first-team experience, although did score earlier on in the season against... Was it Sheffield Wednesday or Cheltenham Town? Sheffield Wednesday, yeah. The 5 now. That's the one. Um, and then behind sort of the out-and-out strikers at Sunderland, you're looking at maybe Lyndon Gooch, who can play there, or Jack Clark, who can play there. But I think for me, and I don't know what you think, I think that sort of narrative is a bit dangerous. Jack Clark was brought into the club and it, it was sort of sold as well. Yes, but he's, he's played up front for Tottenham's under-23s, but we know that to be a completely different ball game to playing up front in League One, should Ross Stewart or Nathan Broadhead not be able to, to do it, which is obviously a worst-case scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well when Lee Johnson was kind of building the squad and with the recruitment team, they had a lot of players that could play kind of multiple positions. You think of like Carl Winchester, Aluko Nine, Jack Clark was brought in as someone who could play wide or up front, whereas I think Alex Neal sees it quite differently. He sees... Jack Clark as a winger or as a wing back. He doesn't see him as a striker. Obviously, the option is there if something get really desperate, if anything happens to Stewart and to Broadhead. But clearly, they are quite light at the top end of the pitch. Alex Neal said that after the Lincoln game, the goalless draw, um, where Sunderland couldn't take the chance. He said, we are short of options up front. That was even before Jermaine Defoe retired. So it was clear in January that Sunderland needed to sign another striker who could support, either play alongside or kind of play sparingly with Ross Stewart being the main man up top. They went for Jermaine Defoe. And again, probably people underestimated, myself included, the lack of minutes that he played in the first half of the season. And in hindsight, they probably should have gone for someone different, someone a bit younger, someone who'd played more minutes. But definitely, yeah, there's, there is a shortage of options up front. As I said before, thankfully for Sunderland this season, nothing has happened to Ross Stewart. He's not had a significant injury like he actually did last year. Um, he was out for a long period, wasn't he, when he came in in January with his hamstring problem. Thankfully, that has held up this season. He's gone on to have a fantastic season. So, 
Sunderland just have to hope that him and Broadhead stay fit for the for the Touch remainder of the campaign. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you mentioned hindsight, Joe. That's it is a wonderful thing because, uh, I mean, I turned into a complete not a cheerleader when Jermaine Defoe signed. I, I was buzzing that the Sunderland fan in me came out, and I suppose this is a a very Sunderland thing that happened when you think about it. We seem to talk about Sunderland things happening quite a lot on this on this podcast, but continue to happen, and there's not a lot we can do about it. Dave, um, you know, Scotland play Austria tomorrow in a, in a friendly. Uh, Ross Stewart is heavily rumoured to be making his first start. He didn't play the other day. It wasn't named on the bench, I don't think, or he might have been, I can't remember. Anyway, he didn't get on the pitch, but uh, wrap him in cotton wool, I think, for the rest of the season, isn't it? Yeah, massively. To be honest, I think we had this conversation before the season even kicked off. Um, yeah, we didn't know a lot about Broadhead and stuff. And, and we, we said, if something happens to Ross Stewart, we could well be struggling. Oh, it doesn't even bear thinking about it at the moment, to be honest. But uh, yeah, let's hope. I mean, basically, it depends what Steve Clark wants from the game tomorrow. If he wants to win, he'll play Ross Stewart because we all know how good he is. But you know, maybe he's a bit biased. Michael, um, the, the sort of Jermaine Defoe situation and the, the lack of options behind Broadhead has led to uh, questions being asked, particularly of Christian Speakman, um, from fans and, and, and the media. What, what have you made of that and, and his performance, really, as, as sport and director of Sunderland, his, his whole tenure? Um, I, think it's, I think it's, in my own opinion, and I know there will be people who disagree with me on this, I think it's quite revisionist just to suddenly assume Christian Speakman's been a failure after... When the gen- now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying you know the January window that he definitely does. That him and the club deserve questions for that. Leaving Sunderland short of centre backs, letting Denver Hume go without getting a replacement, letting Tom Flanagan go on deadline day without getting a replacement. I wasn't a big Tom Flanagan fan, but nevertheless, you're better off having him as an extra option than not having him at all. So yes, there have to be questions after that. Obviously, ultimately now you can ask questions. Well. Jermaine Defoe. Um, some people have argued that the signing was made um, first and foremost for PR reasons, and I think to a degree it was. Um, I still felt there was footballing reasons behind getting Jermaine Defoe in, but nevertheless, that's by the by. Um, I think he's in general, I think we have brought quite a number of good players through the door. I mean, if you want to look at players like, say, Alex Pritchard or Jack Clark or Patrick Roberts as an example, now I know people argue well, they haven't been fully fit, we've had to get them back up to match fitness. But the question I think people have to ask themselves if they think that is, a full, would a fully fit Alex Pritchard, a fully fit Patrick Roberts and a fully fit Jack Clark ever drop down to League One? For me, no, they wouldn't. And I think that, and Christian's been touched on that himself, I think in the minutes uh, with the Red and White Army and whether you believe them or not or agree with them, that's up to you. I personally buy that. I don't think you would have got those players had we, unless you had to give them a big pot of money or really convince them. Um, but... Nevertheless, I think that if you look at the type of players we've brought in, I'd, I couldn't see the previous regime going for a player like Jack Clark or a player like Patrick Roberts. Um, I couldn't see us going for the type of players that uh, many when many people, when we've signed them, fans of other clubs have said, surprised they're not playing in the championship. How many times in the previous regime have we signed players where fans have said that? Now, obviously, just I'm not saying they're definitely championship qualities because some other person thinks they are, but you get my point. I think we have, to have tried to target a higher calibre of player. Um, and obviously... And as horrible as this sign sounds in some ways, we've had to target getting, to an extent, balance it well, but target getting some younger players to sell for a profit because, unfortunately, we have to make ourselves sustainable. We can't just go through the whole, um, unless you two know something I don't know, um, but we can't, we have, we've got, we can't go through the whole, let's splash loads of money 
and then find ourselves financially in not a very good situation. So overall, I think he's done pretty good, but there is room. But obviously, January does leave questions have to be asked, and in that scenario, rightly so. I guess, Joe, the problem for Christian Speakman is that he's he's trying to sort of create a long-term vision, but the fact remains that Sunderland have been in League One when, you know, the size of size of the club probably indicates that they shouldn't be, although they do deserve to be there for four seasons. So there's sort of that paradox, isn't there? He's trying to build, the fans want to get out of the division. And we both know this game is very revisionary. Um, Lee Johnson got sacked, Jermaine Defoe leaves, Sunderland go through a little bit of a bad run, everyone's questioning January. However, should they go up at the end of the season, then that'll be revised once again, won't it? But that's a, a big if. Yeah, I think clearly, as Michael said before, I think it's I think it's harsh to throw all the blame on, on Christian Speakman. I think they, the transfer that Sunderland made came from kind of a number of people with the recruitment team, with Speakman, with even Lee Johnson. I think you look at like Patrick Roberts in particular, I think was very much influenced by Lee Johnson and then that makes Danny it difficult. Barth well. Danny Barth as yeah. well, obviously. Yeah, the way he said he um, tried to, Signed Danny Barr before, didn't he? Um, yeah. So the fact that then you're changing a manager after you, he's helped recruit players, um, it's not particularly helpful. But I think you look back to the start of the season, there was a lot of praise for the, the kind of change of approach Sunderland had taken, signing players like Dennis Serkin, like Callum Doyle. And even in January, I think they've signed some promising players there. I think Matete's looked promising. Tri Hume looks like he's a prospect, even though we've, we've not seen too much of him. But I think clearly questions will be asked in January because Sunderland, particularly at the back, made themselves weaker. I could see the logic behind letting Tom Flanagan go, a player out of contract, um, a player that maybe didn't have a well, didn't have a long-term future at the club, but to let him go and not replace him. Same with Denver Hume, you get left Sunderland with a lot of problems. Um, we know that they did try and sign a replacement, particularly for Flanagan in that centre-back position, but they didn't get the deal over the line. And you have to have that lined up if you're going to let someone like Tom Flanagan go. I think, thankfully, Bailey Wright has stepped up in the last few weeks. Hopefully, Danny Bart is um, going to come back to full fitness after the international break. And now Callum Doyle's had a break. Hopefully, he can be refreshed as well. But it did leave Sunderland with a big problem, particularly at centre-back and with Sirkin uh, being the only only left-back. I mean, thankfully as well, Sirkin has kind of had a bit of a resurgence in recent weeks and looks like he's kind of adapted to that left-sided centre-back role. So, um, Sunderland may have got away with it, but... There were definitely mistakes there made in uh, in January. Can I, uh, can I just... Yeah, go for it, Dave. Go for it. You come Sorry, on. I was just going to say, the, I suppose in terms of criticism, one thing to remember is, and it's very hard to remember because of where we currently are, but going into that January transfer window, we were second in the league. Mm. We were second in the league and probably just needed a little bit of strengthening in order to kick us on. And we probably made ourselves weaker. So for as much as I wouldn't fully blame any one individual, it's us as a club, basically. But we were in a very strong position and now we're scrapping to be in the playoffs. So overall, you've got to say that it's a failed window. It's as simple as that. I remember back to late 90s when we were second in the Premier League or how they might have fallen. Um, second in the Premier League, come into a transfer window and basically need a few big-name signings to kick on and, you know, yeah, never going to win a league or stuff, stuff like that. But in order, And we ended up, because we didn't sign anyone, we ended up dropping away and finishing seventh, which I'd take seventh in the Premier League off you now. But it just shows you, it just shows you if you don't act at the right time and you don't make the right signings, 
how quickly things can change, really. But it's a brutal business football. We all know that. Yeah, well, we're gonna we're gonna round off soon, but we'll take a few uh, Facebook comments. Um, we'll stick on this point by Tony Young. He says, um, "Oh, sorry, that's the wrong one." He says the squad isn't good enough. Stop saying it is. Um, if we were, it would be in the top two. Um, is this our lowest points total since we have been here? Well, first of all, I'm not sure any of us have said the squad is good enough. I think there is holes in there. Uh, but we will throw this out. We'll start with you, Joe. What's your good feeling? Do you think ultimately the squad is good enough to go up through the playoffs as it stands? I think if you look at some of the individual players, they are. I think if you, it's hard to find a better striker than Ross Stewart in League One. I'd argue it's hard to find a better playmaker than Alex Pritchard at that level. But it's bringing the whole squad together. I think you saw, I think we've seen signs now under Alex Neal that he's getting a proper kind of team in place they look a lot harder to beat and they look a lot more like a team whereas um, they looked completely rudderless for a while at the start of this year obviously when they had that drop off um, and it's bringing it all together you look at kind of teams um, like your Rotherham's like your Wiggins they're a proper team they, they, they come together they're hard to beat um, and that's why they've gone on the run, good runs and that's why they're in the top two some of them have got a lot of good individual players particularly in the attacking third of the pitch as well you can throw in people like Roberts like Clark but it's bringing all that together. And I think we've seen in the last few weeks, Neil has started to do that. Uh, hopefully for some, it's not too little, too late. Michael, your opinion, is this is this collection of, of players good enough to go up through the playoffs? Yes. I think Alex Neil is starting to get a balance within this team. And one of the biggest issues under Lee Johnson, as everyone knows, is we were letting in far too many goals. We were too mentally far too weak. And I think Alex Neil has improved that. Whether it's enough to get into the top six, I don't know. But I would view it as a criminal failure if this squad does not get into the top six so Tony's entitled to his own opinion of course he is but for me I wish people would stop saying the squad isn't good enough because for me that that absolves them of responsibility I think and that's down to the head coach that's their job to get them to gel together as a team I think there's definitely more than enough players there to get for, for me the squad at minute even though we did make ourselves weaker I still think the squad should easily be a playoff side and if it doesn't then I think serious questions have got to be asked personally Dave and by the way, sorry to interrupt, just finishing in the playoffs isn't good enough, by the way. If we finish in the playoffs, then the only thing that's acceptable is winning them. I know that people can think that sounds arrogant all at once, but like you said, it's criminal for this club to be in League One. We deserve to be here, but it's not good enough to be here, if that makes, if I haven't contradicted myself there. <laughs> it does make sense. Dave, Dave your thoughts? Yeah, um, I, I think Alex Neil is starting to get it right. I think he's starting to get a tune out of them. Um We've we've probably said it a million times before. The very basics of a football team has to start from the spine of your team. Um, he's obviously made his preference in Anthony Patterson. Long may that continue. He, he's having a good run of form, so that's great. You know, centre half, he, he seems to be getting right. Matetti, I think, has made a massive difference to the midfield. Brings so much more energy. Okay, his decision making isn't great, but at the end of the day, he's twenty year old. It, you know, it, it'll get there, and he's League One footballer for now. Um, but there's definitely something there, and then we all know Ross Stewart, like Joe said before, and I totally agree with. I think he's probably head and shoulders, no pun intended, um, better <laughs> than anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think the spine of the teams there. It the the crucial bit for us will be, I feel, is. I, I hope I don't jinx this now. But I think defensively, he's he's sorting us out. We might not be there, but he's sorting us out. 
I think the next bit is finding the balance for us, scoring a few goals in a game, finishing teams off when we're on top. Um, Lincoln was probably a good example of that. You know, a couple of goals and we all go, yeah, tell you what, that was a great away performance, that as opposed to, yeah, opportunity missed. So, yeah, I think we're on the right lines. Let's just hope we haven't left it too late. I hear what you're all saying. I, I do like large parts of this squad. I think we are short in different ways as well and, and January wasn't the best. The thing that concerns me, and I agree with what you're saying about Alex Neil about the defensive stability, him hanging his hat on Anthony Patterson, but for me, the damage might already be done and it looks like, at the moment, like it's out of, of Sunderland's hands, which is uh, a problem because Sunderland currently sit outside of the playoffs. With that in mind, and I want a one-word answer here before we wrap up because we've uh, we've gone over over the time a little bit. I'm going to put you all on the spot. Um, the question is, will Sunderland, if they do finish in the playoffs, will they go up? Dave, we'll start with you because you've got a grin on your face. Yes or no, please? No. Michael Bowers? Yes. John Nicholson? I know you said one word, but I think with Neil's past success in the, in the playoffs... That's what, if Sunderland finished in the playoffs, I'd, I'd give them a good chance, yeah. Joe, you get echo yes. right of privileges. You get echo right of privileges. Go on, Michael, so do you go, go for it. Yeah, <laughs> explain well, yourself. I'll, I'll, what I will, the, well, this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw Dave under the bus here. We constantly have debates <laughs> about last last season when we had that good run and Johnson, he was adamant we were going up and I felt something wasn't quite right. I didn't think we would. Now, I'm saying this because I think this season, if we finish in the playoffs, and it's a lottery. We know it's a lottery. Me saying this doesn't mean we will do it. So I'm throwing, I'm covering myself just in case. I'll try and be quick. But I think with this time finishing in the playoffs, the mentality going into them will be different. It's not a, oh, we've just missed out on top two. Now we've got to play these games, which we can't be bothered with. I think now there'll be a sense of relief to have a chance to go up. And I think that if we get the balance right and to finish in the playoffs, we have to have had a good run of form. I think that could make a difference now. That, that's just my own opinion, but I've got a suspicion that I think we've got a good chance of going up through the playoffs if we finish in them. Well, good points all round. Uh, thank you for joining me, gentlemen. That was um, extremely cathartic. I don't know whether I, I don't know whether I feel like there's a load lifted off my shoulders or whether you've all added a load onto my shoulders. But um, I, guess, I guess we'll find out in the You'll coming find out weeks. In a few weeks. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Uh, well, that just about brings. Um, and end to another Raw podcast for all of the build-up news and injury updates ahead of Sunderland's next game against Gillingham on Saturday. Please head over to the Sunderland Echo website. Uh, we've also got updates on how the likes of Callum Doyle and Dan Neal have done on international duty, and we'll keep you up to date with any potential Ross Stewart developments as well. Uh, once again, thank you for listening to the Raw podcast. Mm-hmm.